this morning, uh, I want to talk about uh, what I've called truth-telling. I wasn't sure what title to give it. Truth-telling, maybe versus lying. Uh, maybe I should warn you that I have uh, 10 pages of type notes, and I usually have three, so that means this will be three and one-third times uh, longer than normal. Uh, we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads in that. I want to start with Zechariah 8, there are two verses there. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purpose to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of the Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth, uh, or uh, execute justice with truth, perhaps is the meaning there. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your day. Also, let none of you divide evil in your heart against another, and do not love perjury. For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Uh, so perjury, I believe uh, the definition of perjury is lying after promising to tell the truth, especially in a court of law. But God cares about truth, and He expects people to tell the truth, speak the truth, speak what they know is true. And uh, one issue in this passage that I will not address, you might even think about it, and maybe you didn't, so I should have not mentioned it, is uh, the comment here that God has not relented. Um, and that relates to the issue of whether or not God's Word is sure, not only true, but sure, and will He keep His Word, or does He change His mind? And uh, I'm not going to try to address that here this morning. This sermon is uh, the result of many years of pondering the importance of truth and the question of what is truth and what is the result if truth is absent. And uh, I want to mention in the beginning here uh, my, my earliest personal struggles with truth, as I remember, and see, that's one aspect of truth. The challenge of what you remember to be true, and as time passes, how forgetful, forgetful we are. Uh, but my memory is um, 
struggling with truth in two main areas. The one is, uh, I, I struggled a lot with what the Bible teaches about something. Maybe partly because uh, there were statements in the Bible that seemed to contradict or suggest some different way to think about something, and I'm trying to make all of these uh, agree. And so struggling with Bible issues, uh, what is true about God, just like the one that I mentioned a little bit ago that I said I wasn't going to try to address. Um, what is true about God? What's true about salvation? What's true about the law? There's so many questions that we can have and struggle to know, well, what's true about that? Even though the Bible says things about it, and another area of truth that I have struggled with is uh, what are the facts? What are the facts that are true about a decision I'm trying to make? And so I, I've often felt uncertain. Do I know what's true about that? Have I have I really gathered all the information I need? Okay, I should mention this, and so nowadays, back when I was a child and a teenager and a young adult, and how old was I? It was about in 85 or 6 when I discovered there was such a thing as the internet. So in our day now, we can Google things and we can find everybody's opinion, anybody's opinion about what is true about something, and, and some of these things contradict. So I don't know if we're more confused than ever or what, but the second area, I, I struggled to know what's true about something in order to make a decision about it. And I, I think that a lot of times I was afraid to make a decision because I wasn't sure if I had the facts or And so I remember taking a sheet of paper, I probably said this here before, and had two columns and write down one column of the pros of what I thought was true about something, the other column of the cons. And sometimes I would wait the uh, give them weight and add up the score, and then that's supposed to tell me what I should decide to do. And you know, all of that can be quite stressful. All of it's about truth and trying to be wise, trying to make a good decision, trying to be doing what God wants us to do. And I think maybe looking back that in the last 10 to 15 years, I think I have become more. Uh, maybe settled in my thoughts about various issues, maybe a little more self-confident about them. Although that also creates some difficulty if you're too vocal about these things that you think. You can smile about that. Okay, you smile. Um, but as I've gotten older, I think I've also become more aware that failure to know and living truth is much more complex than just figuring out what decision to make about something. Uh, I discovered that uh, probably the worst truth of fear is that no one knows everything. We're not God. 
Some people intentionally deny that something is true, even though they know it is true. I, I know some people like that. Some people choose to believe untruth or lies because it serves their goal. It serves their purposes, or maybe because it's hard to change their beliefs about something, so they deny that the something is true, and then they don't have to change their beliefs. Um, or maybe because it's hard for them to change their behavior. So they finally give up on what they know is true, kind of deny it in their minds so that they don't have to change the way they live. So uh, one thing I've learned, and uh, maybe this is more of late uh, in the last years, that uh, I used to think that, that uh, all the liars were in the world and they were evil and they were sinners. Um, maybe I thought they were politicians. And I, I probably shouldn't get on that subject this morning. Uh, because it's not only politicians who lie, it's also Christians who lie. Uh, sometimes church people. Um, that's, that's a sad reality. So Christians struggle with this too, Dr. Stover. So the Bible contains many, many statements about truth, what truth is, the source of truth, stories of people who were truthful or untruthful. Um, Sometimes the Bible, even in the story, will give the reason the person was untruthful. It's all very fascinating. It's instructive. And uh, there's no way this morning that I can talk about everything related to truth. And the fact is, I don't even know everything related to truth. And there's also some possibility that some of the things that I say this morning that I think are true, you might think they aren't true. So you can feel free to uh, raise those issues at the end. Uh, you know, one one of the um, one of the ways that uh, would help us uh, have more assurance, maybe. That, that we are in the truth is if we could be more willing uh, to submit our thoughts about what's true to other people and, and hear what they have to say about it. So, uh, before I get further, I want to give a very brief definition of what is truth. Uh, Statement is true if it agrees with reality. If it agrees with the facts, if it agrees with the way something really is. And of course, there's the question well, what really is it? Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character of God, the being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. To say that God is true is to say that God is faithful and dependable. 
that he is trustworthy and a true statement and an honest person, both a true statement and an honest person are both dependable and trustworthy. So I'm going to try to look here at the source of truth, doubt the source of truth, and then at biblical illustrations, biblical illustrations of truthfulness and the lack of it, and look at the effects of truthfulness and the lack of truthfulness, and look at how we can uh, find deliverance from lying or become more truthful. So God is the source and standard of truth, and I'm going to look at God the Father and then Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and this will be very quick, I hope. So number 23 is the account of Balaam uh, trying, being asked to curse uh, God's people. And he says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Okay, now that, that, that thing is God's dependable issue. And the, the issue of that he should repent is something like that he would relent or change his mind or not do what he said he would do. And so Balaam said, uh, God is not a man that he should lie, or has God spoken and he will not make it good. In Romans um, 2, Paul says that the Jews have failed to keep the law and have blasphemed the name of God among the Gentiles, meaning that the God the Jews have presented to the Gentiles has caused the Gentiles to has viewed God contemptuously. That whoever they presented God to be to the Gentiles, they presented God as someone who was not faithful and could not keep his people, and they weren't able to live the way God asked them, and this brought the name of God into question, who God is. So in Romans 3 then, Paul asked, so if this is the problem, of, if this is the way Jews have been, what is the advantage of being a Jew since they have failed so miserably? And his answer is, it is a great advantage in every respect. And then Paul says, what then? If some Jews did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God with it, and his answer is, may it never be. No. Rather let God be true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you, God, may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged or questioned. In Titus 1, Paul says that he was called by God to preach the truth. And this, this is a fascinating statement. A lot of statements in the Bible like this. Paul was 
called by God to preach the truth that is according to godliness. Truth that is according to godliness. Truth that corresponds to and results in godly attitudes in life. That's the idea of godliness. Truth that produces a bright living. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even His Word, talking about manifested in Jesus Christ, in the person of Christ. So, Paul is saying that the truth he is preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the truth that results in upright living, and in it, in it results in the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised many years ago and now has fulfilled in the person and life and gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, one more about God in Hebrews 6. The writer of Hebrews says that God's promises to Abraham will be fulfilled because it is impossible for God to lie. And since God cannot lie, believe us to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and what one whit enters within the veil. Okay, now, Christ. Jesus is truth, the Bible says, and Jesus embodied. It was in flesh in Jesus. The truth was. So John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, who has explained him. Revealed him. So Jesus in flesh or embodied grace and truth. Truth uh, is real life, revealed in the person of Christ. He was truth, he spoke truth, he did truth, and uh, it, this truth revealed the Father the character of the Father. Uh, John 14, uh, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus' statement. So the way is the path. The truth is the reality. Uh, meaning that Jesus knows what is real. He knows what is true. He knows uh, everything about everything. And he doesn't forget anything he knows. And he knows everything about you and me and everything else. And Jesus is life, meaning eternal life, life that is free from corruption. 
It's not just a long time life, it's a quality of life, a certain kind of life. So this is peace. Uh, in relate, this is like picking and choosing what I'm using here, the references. So John 18, uh, this is the account of Jesus before Pilate. Uh, Pilate said to him, um, so you are a king. I believe this is following comment that Jesus made. Uh, so Pilate asked, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come to the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Um, so that sounds like uh, you can't really hear the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit, unless you are committed to truth. So Pilate said to him, What is truth? Okay, so I think in the account, if you read it carefully, and the other passages related to it, there seems to be no doubt that Pilate thought Jesus was speaking the truth, and he also thought that Pilate was guiltless. He didn't think that Jesus had committed a crime worthy of death. But the problem was that he was in the midst of competing realities and pressures, influences such as such as Pilate's wife sent him a written note to leave that innocent man alone and don't have anything to do with him because she had suffered through a terrible nightmare nightmare about him last night and she couldn't sleep. <clears throat> now, uh, this is totally a side note. I don't know why I didn't think about this while I was studying. It raises the question of do wives have more truth than their husbands? I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> Couples sometimes struggle with that trying to figure out What's true about that? Does she know what she's talking about here, or is this just some emotional sensitivity to something, or what is it? Okay. So, you're going to digest it. So, here's Pilate's wife. So, that's one pressure. And then, of course, the leading priests and the elders, they were lobbying for Jesus' crucifixion. So, Pilate is caught in the middle, and he was conflicted about what to do, and so he asked the question, well, what is truth? And uh, the reason uh, he asked this is because Jesus had said that the purpose of his life on earth was to testify to the truth. So the reality here is, or the truth here, is that Jesus was truth and testified to or spoke truth, and Jesus knows what is true about every situation and every person's reality. So one one thing I would say here is that um, 
I think we can we can feel very alone in life and like we don't know what to do. But the reality is that Jesus does know us and he knows the true about us and he hasn't forgotten anything. And sometimes I think we have to uh, stop. I think sometimes we get so scared in life situations and we really need to stop and and pray and pray and um, ask God to tell us what He knows is true. Now here's here's another thing I want to say about Jesus. Um, Although Jesus always told the truth, I think one thing you see in the stories in the Gospels is that Jesus did not tell people all the truth that he knew about them. Nor did he tell people everything he knew about something that he was talking about. He did not overwhelm people with, with many, many words. Uh, like we tend to do sometimes, which uh, reminds me of, of one time at Faith Builder when someone was kind of struggling, and I'm not sure, I should have thought about this harder before. I don't know, I feel quite a bit of pressure to, to find it, just tell her what the reality is here. So I wrote, I wrote her a letter, and I covered all the bases. I covered all the bases. Every base I knew, I covered. I didn't leave any stone unturned. The brother, brother John, listening to this study, it's like when the patient comes in and you unload on them a little problem. You know. I really, <clears throat> I really did. And um, the pastor came. That's probably, that's probably why he came uh, to protect her from me. He came, and he 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 told me <laughs> he told me that I had really I had really he wasn't mean. He didn't get after me, but he just said you have really worked this open. Wow, wow. Well, okay, the reality was I don't think you can bear up under all of that. Okay, honesty and truth-telling uh, do not require being brutal or being brutally honest and, and telling people everything you know is the fact. Uh, the question is, is that helpful? Uh, I think you can actually destroy people by doing that. And I think sometimes the things we think are true are many, maybe they are our suspicions, or instead of just telling people things, maybe we need to engage them in a conversation and uh, let them help us decide what the truth is. But anyway, that's, that's uh, just trying to address something there. Is honesty about telling everybody everything they know? I don't think so. Okay, in relation to the Holy Spirit and truth, there's John 14, 15, 16, especially in each of these chapters that talks about the Spirit of truth. That He abides with you, will be in you, and will reveal 
me to you, and and in that context, Jesus says, "I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you." Uh, meaning, come, the Spirit will come to you and bring me to you, reveal me to you, comfort you, lead you, instruct you, teach you. So the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I should say the Holy Spirit does not reveal things to us that disagree with who Jesus is or what the Bible says. Okay, now some Bible, biblical illustrations and stories of truthfulness and the lack of it, and there are many. And I'm just, I just have a few. So in Genesis 3, I think we have the first uh, series of lies recorded in the Bible. Uh, so that now the serpent was more clever than any wild animal which the Lord God had made. Uh, and by the way, this account is really quite mysterious to me, how this was. But. So he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, so <clears throat> you might want to... Um, you might have things to say at the end about this, but I, I would say technically, uh, I think Satan's question here wasn't really a lie, but it was intended to get Eve to believe something that isn't true about God. Uh, perhaps to get her to believe that God was withholding something legitimate from her, it was to raise doubt in her mind, or to make her confused about what God had said. And so the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but not from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat from it. Uh, and I think the King James says, Neither shall you touch it or else you will die. So Eve's statement about not touching it uh, was not true, as far as we know. It was uh, in addition to... <clears throat> okay, and while I'm saying this, uh, my thought is, I wonder why she did that. I don't know. But I wonder why she felt pressure to add to it. And the serpent said, you certainly will not die. In fact, God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, of course, uh, he was right and he was wrong. And they were not going to die physically this minute, but something died in them, and their relationship with God died, and many things probably died inside of them, emotionally, spiritually, um, etc. Um, so, so the comments that Satan made 
some of them not being wise, but making suggestions and turning their feet off uh, toward believing things that weren't true. Um, you know, they, they, um, these are the kinds of things that happen with people in our conversations with people that we can make suggestions, implications. Um, takes, I, I don't want to get people in some kind of a gift thing where they feel like they have to perfect every word they speak, but there are things to consider here. Uh, the next uh, example I have is uh, the one with Cain and Abel. Uh, when Jesus, um, when God came to uh, Cain and said, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's people? So Abel lied. And then he denied having any responsibility for the welfare of his brother. And so uh, here's one thing you can say about lying is that it has causes. There are reasons people lie. And then the lying has consequences. There are results to lying. Sarah and Abraham would be another example. Um, when uh, the angel of the Lord came and said that they would have a son in their old age, uh, the Bible says uh, Sarah laughed. And then when uh, the angel of the Lord asked her or said to her, you laughed, she said, oh, no, no, I did not laugh. And it says, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did that. Uh, pardon me, but that is pretty direct. Okay? And she said, no, I didn't laugh. And he said, no, but you did. You did. You did that. So, I'm not sure what she was afraid of. That's why she lied. Abraham also lied about Sarah being his wife when he was afraid someone might kill him so they could have his wife, and he did it twice. And the first time in Genesis 12, I believe, it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, see now, Sometimes, of the way things are stated in Scripture, it's really uh, sometimes humorous, sometimes interesting, sometimes sad. So, he said to his wife, see now. Like, listen up. I know that you are a beautiful woman. Pardon me for smiling. Okay. I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when he gets me to you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Uh, I'm sorry, but that, that really, that, that, that is just amazing. Okay, man. This is not good. 
They'll kill me and they'll let me live. And that's why they will have to play and love you a certain time. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at uh, Abraham's thinking. If you don't lie about this, they'll kill me and they'll let you live. So lie about this. And I would just say, I, I have no idea how uh, Sarah was supposed to trust him, respect him, when he obviously cared more about himself than about her. Anyway, that's a side note. Then we have uh, the last one. No, not. I have another one. Uh, Peter in Matthew 26 denied Christ three times. Outright lie. I don't know this man. Don't know it. In John 9, we have the story of the man born blind, his parents, and the religious leaders, and they all struggle with the truth. Well, except the man who was born blind seemed to be pretty straightforward. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. Okay, then that sounds like, well, they did know what was true. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. So, a thought. The Bible actually says what the problem was. And then the Bible says uh, what the problem was to the Jews, to the leaders. It said, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age as him. So, fear. On their part, and then the religious rulers denied the truth that this man was healed because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and they believed he couldn't possibly be the Messiah if he healed someone on the Sabbath. And they had already agreed. So they had decided what the truth could be before they checked out the evidence. And of course, we kind of uh, feel critical of that, but maybe we do that too. We decide what's possibly true before we actually know what is true, really. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira is the last one I have. At the end of Acts 4, it talks about how the believers shared with one another so that no one lacked. And so Barnabas, it says, in that context, he sold a piece of land and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so everyone is observing this, and this is a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, people probably like, oh, bless you, Barnabas, this is so wonderful. And so Ananias and Sapphira apparently they want to get into this too. So they sell a piece of land and they keep back part of it and they come and say that this is 
all of the money they got for it. And, okay, I probably know here on this one, because I have no idea how Peter can know that they've lied. And so he just said, we're going to drop here. And so he just drops over there. Then the wife comes and it's all repeated. I don't know. I don't think I'd have that kind of theory. I don't know if you would, Galen. Just pronounce the death sentence and then that's it. I don't know, but what he does say is uh, the seriousness of lying. And it says there in the passage that great fear came upon all the church when they heard that these things. Okay, the effects of truthfulness and the lack of truthfulness. I'm trying to move along. Truthfulness functions as the basis of the basis for spiritual growth. Truth is the basis for spiritual growth. So John 17 talks about uh, sanctify them in the truth, through the truth, and your word is truth. And the idea there, sanctify, means set them apart from evil. Set them apart from something for something. Ephesians 4, 15 says, Speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is to get into Christ. So we become more Christ-like as we speak the truth to one another, as we affirm the truth. Truth is the basis for reality. The basis for growth, the basis for deliverance from evil. Romans 1.18 says that um, the Gentiles, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. So unrighteous living suppresses the truth. Lack of truth results in unrighteous living. And unrighteous living results in lack of truth. So here's one reality. Uh, this may be an observation I've made over the years that that uh, what people believe is true is part of the result of the way they live. And that's what this verse is saying. John 8 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's freedom in knowing what's true if we affirm it, embrace it. Many people lie because they think their lives will give them more control and flexibility and freedom. will make it possible for them to live, uh, maybe the way to say it is, it will make it possible for them to live as they please. But the fact is that their lives become a heavy weight. I'll come back to that in a little bit. First John 1, 
5 and following talks about walking in the light, having fellowship uh, with Him, with Christ, with others. We can't if we walk in darkness. If we walk in darkness, we lie. We're walking in a lie, and we are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, is cleansing, is the idea, cleanses us from all sin, is in the process of cleansing us. As we are walking in the light we have, we are being forgiven sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, if we deny that we have sinned, if we deny that we do sin, we are not living in truth, and we are not living in the light, and we are deceiving ourselves, is what these verses say. And people who are honest with themselves and God and others live in light, and they have fellowship with God and others. Okay, now untruthfulness. This is kind of a negative subject. I'm through from it. Uh, first of all, I want to talk a little about the motives and causes of untruthfulness. And I don't know all of them. I'm just mentioning some. Uh, one of them is the fear of what will happen if I am truthful. Which ultimately is evidence of lack of faith in God. So what will happen if I'm truthful? So Abraham lying about Sarah is saying to his sisters, it's in this category. And the parents of the blind man, that fits in this category of being afraid what's going to happen because they would have been cast out of the temple if they were honest. Another motive for untruthfulness, it may be the result, sometimes it is. The result of the need to redefine reality to fit my goals. To fit the reality that I want to portray or want the reality I want to be. I want it to be this way. So I say it is this way. I try to make it be this way. So the scribes and Pharisees uh, were guilty of this and in deciding ahead of time what the reality could be. And in our day, if I may mention or harp a little bit on something, uh, in our day, uh, truth is whatever we want it to be. That's fairly common. If I'm, if I'm a man that feel like or want to be a woman, I can say I'm a woman, and everyone has to agree with me that I am a woman. It doesn't matter what the chromosomes are, whatever that is. It doesn't matter. If you don't agree with me and don't call me what I want to be called, then you're guilty of hate speech. I'm saying all of this just to highlight a problem. If you don't agree with me, you're guilty of hate speech. I can make my reality whatever I say it is, and I can demand that you agree with my reality, even if it violates your understanding of reality. 
and uh, I can force you to say that I'm right. That's today in our world. So another motive called of untruthfulness, I said fear of what might happen if I'm truthful, and uh, the second one, the desire to make reality be what I want. Uh, the third one is based in truth on what feels good. Uh, emotions and what feels good is maybe the most popular basis for truth today. People do things because they feel like it. They make choices based on whether or not it makes them feel good. And too often people are making decisions based on their bluntly, their physical or sexual desires that have not been surrendered to Jesus. So there's the challenge there, the tension between surrendering my desires to Jesus and uh, agreeing with what he says is true and right and good. The tension between that and uh, deciding to do things based on will make me feel good for the moment. So I have a few cautions here. Uh, One caution. People are not necessarily lying or rejecting truth if they see things differently than someone else. This is is a challenge in living. Our understanding of truth is influenced by the information we have and the experiences we have had, and no two people have experienced and know the same thing. And this is why it is important to actually listen, which probably most of us struggle doing this, uh, the need to listen when someone else is talking uh, instead of uh, thinking about how we're going to respond before we ever get done, how we're going to defeat their point of view. So this is why it's important to actually listen when someone else is talking, because we might hear truth that we had not considered before. So this is partly too an issue of pride, and maybe partly an issue of I have to be right. Maybe it's about insecurities, whatever it is. So it's just talking, just because we don't agree here on something doesn't mean that you're lying. Doesn't mean I'm lying either. Or maybe there's more light that we need to have. Another caution I would have is that I don't put. it feels true to me beliefs that people have that are untrue, actually, or false. I don't put that in the category of lying. Okay? Now, for example, it feels true to me that God doesn't love me. Or it feels true to me that God doesn't forgive me. Or it feels true to me that, that, um, that I'm ugly or that other people are against me. They, that people have many of these. We all have one or two of them. They, it feels true to me that they basically are the reality that we live out of. And people generally, I think, they would uh, make a decision based on 
dishonesty. People who are dishonest often demand that the people around them agree with their view or view of reality. And so people who lie put a lot of pressure on others to agree with them, and the result is that eventually people don't want to be controlled by the liar and they don't want to be a friend to this person. Because the person being lied to and forced to agree with the lies feels like he's losing his mind. I've had people say that to me. They feel like they're being forced to believe things are true that they know are not true, and they don't know in their head what to do with it. They don't know how to reconcile it. They, they feel like they are being controlled into this. Research demonstrates that people who lie begin to believe their lies. So, their lies begin to determine their understanding of truth. And it's wrong. Another result of lying is that it results in judgment. Uh, liars will not inherit heaven. And again, I'll say people bring that up to me and they want help with that because they tell a lie. Okay? Dishonesty has a negative effect on one's mental and emotional health. It's a fact. Okay? Lies require maintenance. You have to remember what you said. And go to rainwater. Maybe I'm so much older than most of you. You don't know who that is. But I uh, worked at various radio stations in this area, Central Virginia. He's still here. He's still uh, One thing he said is, you need not call you. I have no idea how that works. But he also said, if you always tell the truth, you won't have to remember what you said. Now, that was pretty pissy. Lies keep you from addressing the real issue. That's another problem. Not only do you have to maintain and maintain lies and remember what you used to look to, but they keep you from addressing the real issue. People who lie to others also lie to themselves. And one reason people lie to themselves is so they don't have to face the truth, the reality of their lives, the reality of their behavior. Uh, but then the lying keeps them from facing and dealing with the truth, and it keeps them from resolving the issues. Keeps them from growing. Lying is stressful, and it results in anxiety, especially if you're afraid you will be caught and have to try to remember what you said. Lying can result in lack of sleep, which then leads to tiredness and a foggy brain and depression, which makes remembering what you said even harder. Sorry to be so negative here. Lying can result in insecurity. Lying can result in guilty shame. Lying can result in feeling misunderstood, because of course people who lie have a hard time having a conversation about reality, because their lies don't reflect. Reality. I'm almost done. Okay, how to be delivered from what? And this is not exhaustive, just thoughts. Now, the first step, I think, is in finding, in finding deliverance from lying is to acknowledge that lying is sin. And if you lie, to acknowledge, I lie. I'm not honest. And uh, 
to repent of life. But this is extremely hard to do because people who lie are dishonest with themselves about the fact that they lie. That's usually true. Also. And for this reason, it is helpful if the person who lies can give God permission to work in his heart to show him what is true. And you might be surprised how hard it is for people to give God permission to do things like that. To accomplish something that they can't accomplish themselves directly. Some people don't view their lives as lies. So, it can be helpful to evaluate what your speech, my speech, to evaluate our own speech. What our speech is like, and especially what kind of lies we tell. I know, this might sound weird, but it can help if you get some idea of, oh, oh, I'm doing that, okay? So there are things people call white lies. Maybe you don't like any of this, but there are some differences. There are lies with omission. You just don't say the truth when someone asks. You don't say anything. There's such a thing as exaggerations, and they are lies. You overstate things. There's things like implied lies, subtle lies. You don't really say it, but you suggest it. Uh, and then there's such a thing as just outright, complete untruth. You said something's absolutely a lie. It's not just false. It rained yesterday, and it didn't rain yesterday. The sun was out all day. Okay, whatever. So it helps to clarify what kind of speech do I have. If a person can see it. Okay, if a person is aware that they lie, it helps if the person can learn to pay attention to what is going on when they are tempted to lie. A person can become aware of what's going on inside of them when they are lying or when they're tempted to lie. Uh, most people who lie, habitual liars I'm talking about, can't stop lying until they're willing to examine what's going on when they lie. Like, where were you when you lied and what kind of situation was it and who were you with? And what were you feeling? Were you feeling fear? Uh, feeling insecure? Uh, what, what was your goal when you were doing this? When you felt tempted, what were you tempted to try to accomplish? Uh, and what, what do you think that the lie would accomplish if you lied? Uh, so, deliverance from lying, I think, lying is not... Um, and lying generally has contributing causes, and getting people to stop lying doesn't necessarily address the problems, the, the uh, issues, sins of the heart that contributed to the lie. People who lie need help from others. Habitual liars cannot deliver themselves from lying. Uh, and they can't deliver themselves from any other sin by themselves in either 10 years. They're not alive. I mean, we, we just don't have the ability to save ourselves. We need Jesus, we need others. 
people don't have the ability to control themselves out of the sin. They need help outside themselves. And the problem here, though, is that people who lie are usually trying to control the reality so they are not very willing to let go of the control that I'm offers them and they're not very willing to let other people talk to them about it. Um, so at every stage, it is important for a person to give God permission to do for them what they cannot do directly for themselves, and it's important to let other people talk with us if they have concerns about this thing. It's helpful if the friend or relative of the person who lies can mention the discrepancy, the dishonesty, without saying, you just heard a lot. Okay, my experience is that the frontal attack does not often work very well. People become defensive. So it's a challenge. Uh, I think it's better not to do the frontal attack. You have to be safe for a person to talk about this problem, this thing. And the frontal attack makes it feel unsafe. So, I'm, I don't know exactly what all you need to do, but uh, you might say, I don't remember it happening that way. Can you talk about what happened? Tell me what you thought happened. Or say, a little while ago you did that, and uh, what did you say this man? Uh, help me, help me understand these two statements. Uh, but I'll admit, any kind of conversation like this can be dangerous. I mean, it can be difficult, it, it can feel like an attack. But, um, in general, though, I'm saying that the most helpful thing you can do is neither ignore lies nor do an angry frontal attack. Uh, so the challenge is to know how to do this in a respectful, helpful way. Uh, people who lie usually need help with more than lying. I mentioned this before. Lying is often a symptom. So the person needs help to understand how lying works for them or how lying functions, how lying functions for them. Uh, such as their lying as a result of fear, as a result of the need to control their reality, so on. Uh, several more items. Stop lying and instead try to meet your goals and meet honesty. I actually found that point online, okay? Stop lying and instead try to meet your goals and meet honesty. And another one. The way to stop lying is to start telling the truth, even small truths. So, some lies are opposed to truth, and they undermine everything that is good and right. God wants to and can deliver people from their lies. Uh, lying ruins relationships. It is much easier to habitually lie than it is to stop lying. And the one lesson in that is, uh, dear people, work really hard not to become a habitual liar. It's really hard to stop. 
It's a difficult thing. For many people who are habitual liars, their lying started at a young age. Truth-telling is the basis for healthy relationships and spiritual and emotional growth and health. Lord, thank you that you are the God of truth and that by your Spirit you speak to us. Lord, uh, redeem us and deliver us from untruths and grow us up into truth covers and, and deliver us from evil. And uh, meet each of us here in whatever our need is and accomplish the good purposes. And thank you. Amen.